Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number 21. I'm your host, Travis Streb. I've got Nathan Hershow on the show today. He is a dancer and a choreographer and a workshop leader and uh, basically does everything. This guy is super, super impressive. He uh, runs this really unique leadership program called Inner Teacher that we talk a lot about in the show. And it's really about tapping into intuition and trust as a leader. And he does it through some pretty interesting methods using dance and embodiment techniques and voice. So we talked a lot about that program. We talked a lot about Nathan's own journey as a young dancer and finding his own soul journey in the world at a really young age and now he's living it out. We talked about leadership as a, being a transmission as opposed to just a cognitive exercise. We talked about different empowerment techniques for people and the role of trust and fearlessness and emphasizing energy over action as being important leadership traits. This, uh, this episode's jam-packed. We took a few random walks down some paths, but it was a great discussion with Nathan, and I know you're going to love it. Let's jump in. Okay, so um, Nathan, man, I'm like so, so stoked to have you on the show. I know you met my wife back in LA at, uh, you know, the Parliament of Victory, and she came back just ranting about your, your vision that you have for bringing together, you know, I'm going to butcher this, but, you know, dance, improv, leadership, inner wisdom, yoga, all of it together to to help people understand and, and really embody the teacher that they have within them. So, you know, I do want to talk about that, but I also want to know, man, like how the heck did you get into this, this stuff? Like what's, what's your story? I mean, I know you left home at a, at a young age to be a dancer, but I'm super curious to hear where you've been on your journey. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually um, a funny beginning that was kind of out of my control. I was watching my sister's, first grade kind of performance. And I was in kindergarten or maybe even preschool. And I snuck on stage and my parents were just like, okay. And I was actually just recently talking to my dad about this. And he was like, well, it's like, no one was gonna take you off there. You were just enjoying it too much. And so I think it was something that I was naturally drawn to from a very young age of just needing to be on stage and express myself through my body. Like those were the kind of two requirements, I guess, for my soul path. Um, and then ever since then, it was just kind of like, okay, we got to put him in more dance class. And then it was just, okay, he wants more, he wants more. And I just kept going and I kept loving it. And, you know, it got to the point where dance was really teaching me and it became kind of like my primary education. I was learning about, myself and how to interact with the world through my body so you know you go through all these kind of different experiments and tests as a dancer in terms of balance and body skills and awareness and all those things were being stretched and pulled at a very young age and I was understanding 
something deeper inside of me than just the kind of math and school stuff that I was doing in my other curriculum. And then that was really pulling me. And then I, you know, I moved away from home when I was 15 to go to Arizona to go and train. And then when I was 17, I got into Juilliard. And then ever since then, it's kind of just been an expansion away from dance and into other um, different sectors of life to understand how dance and movement and the body can apply to these different kind of silos of society. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like, that you, that you found your, you, well, you know, I might call it purpose. You said your, your soul journey before you were 15 years old. I don't know a lot of people that have got that level of clarity in, in, in grade school, but that's amazing. You, you said something, though. You said you learned how to interact with the world through your body. Yeah. And, um, this is a, a skill that I bring to my work as uh, embodied, embodied leadership coach. And I'm curious, can you say more about what that means for you, you know, as, as a dancer and, you know, as, as a young man, you know, going to Juilliard, what does that, what does that mean to interact with the world through your body? Yeah. Um, I know it's kind of like a big term, but I think it's actually simpler than the way it's made to seem. And I think it's tapping into your sensations that are precognitive your thoughts um, and it's really as simple as that for me it's understanding what's happening before and after and during my thoughts inside my body so inside my gut inside my heart inside my feet inside all different parts of me there's all these different sensations that are going on and it's really telling me a lot of information and so it's not like you have to completely disengage with the mind but it's just allowing a Kind of more wholesome approach to include the body in the awareness well i mean and you i mean obviously your primary mode of communication and, and of being in the world has been through your body i mean you grew up as a as a dancer you know you're performing you're creating art through your body so it seems natural i'd, I'd say for a lot of my listeners this is like a bit of a foreign concept this whole idea yeah. of interacting with the world through your body um what I mean outside of dance, how does that show up for you? That this yeah, idea? I actually think that we are always interacting with our body. It's just how much of it are we interacting with? You know, because we're always including parts of our body. It's just a lot of times we hide other parts and we don't include those in our awareness. And so we're maybe using our mind and we're using our mouths and our voices and all those things have certain qualities to them. So your voice has a rhythm, it has a speed, it has a power, it has a dynamic inside of it. And so do all the other parts of your body. And so I think it's just including them within your experience of your reality and including all of the rhythms and sensitivities and facets that they have you know, when you're talking to someone, you're not just speaking with your voice, but you're also speaking with your body language, you're speaking with your hands, you're speaking with your gestures. And so if those are included in your awareness, just as the words that are coming out of your mouth are included in your awareness, hopefully, then, <laughs> then you might have um, a deeper experience of communication or a deeper experience of how you want to articulate yourself. Um, and then the world 
I mean, I look at it in a very romantic way of seeing the world kind of as this big choreographed performance where I am dancing throughout it. And in that way, I just feel more encompassed and inside of myself. And it actually brings um, a lot of fear out of me because when I'm connecting to the body, I'm acknowledging a larger aspect of my experience. My teacher used to say, you know, when you're nervous before you go on stage, yes, you are nervous, that is true, but there's also, there's also many more aspects of your experience that you're not including. You know, there's the ground that you're standing on. There's the colors around the room. And so I think of it as being okay with the fact that the mind is involved, but just starting to acquire um, a larger awareness to include uh, a bigger experience of yourself and, and the world around you. And your body, your body is a big aspect of that from, from head to toe. I, I agree. I, uh, you know, I, I've watched, I watched some of the workshops you put on on your Instagram feeds and, you know, you and I have talked about it a bit and you are a, a very embodied man. And it's interesting because I think it's something that we, that we often unlearn and, um, a lot of my work, and I know a lot of your work, is bringing people in, in, you know, not just dancers or artists, but just everyday people, bringing them back into their bodies. And I'm curious, um, where, where does a person start that is looking to, as you say, have a deeper experience of whatever it is that they're doing through their body? Yeah, I actually don't think there's one place. I think it looks different for each individual. I've noticed with some people, um, a great way to start is just kind of going crazy, just going berserk, shaking it all out, letting it go. And some people can really find that. And then other people prefer a much more kind of subtle approach into the body of, you know, I think of it in terms of, um, you know, like ecstatic dance on one end of getting into your body and Vipassana meditation on the other end. And I think both ways are really amazing. There's a whole scale in between that. Um, so I think it's being able to identify what feels good for you. I mean, for me, I just go crazy. You know, I, I prefer the more aspects of ecstatic dance and then I prefer to go more still into more of a Vipassana type situation. Um, but that's just my personal preference. So I try to listen to whoever I'm with in the moment and seeing what they're responding to. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I agree. There's probably a lot of access points and I'm sure you've seen and experienced many of them yourself. Um, you know, before we go any further, man, I want to, I want to actually, let's have my listeners hear a bit more about your great in the world because when I heard about this I was like man I gotta talk to this guy um, so yeah tell me a bit about inner teacher and and the, the work you're doing out there in the world and what you're trying to create yeah so inner teacher is a class structure um, or a workshop structure and basically what it provides is every person within the workshop gets to be a teacher or a leader depends how you want to look at it and a student or a listener and basically we all enter the classroom with the acknowledgement that we all have something worthy of sharing inside of us. And we all have things that other people don't know and other people have things that we don't know. 
And so we come into this classroom with a collaborative approach and each person gets a certain amount of time to be the leader or teacher while the other people are kind of the students and they're listening and understanding. And through that process of getting the opportunity to be the leader or be the speaker, just as I'm in right now, you get the opportunity to actually have an experiential practice of the leader inside of you and of the articulation of what it means to be a communicator, a leader, a teacher. And I've found that the only way to really know yourself is to be able to teach what you do and what you know. And through that process, it's really a process of self-understanding, self-development, and self-trust. Because it, after doing this after a while and going into that place, you start to develop a certain trust. So through the position of leadership and practice of that, a trust comes in yourself, and I call this now intuitive leadership, to where you don't have to plan every word that you're going to say, but there's a listening inside of yourself to the next words that are going to come. And through that, you can follow the teacher that is speaking to you inside of you. That's a great succinct way to talk about something that's pretty complex as, as intuition. But, um, you know, my teacher talks about it in, you know, a, a, I think a similar way he talks about to be, a, to you know, have half your awareness on what's going on inside you and the other half of your awareness is wrapped around whoever you're with and to be able to pause long enough, you know, feel out into the field of, of awareness and to act from there, mm. which it, yeah. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very similar energetic. So, I mean, but cultivating intuition is, you know, I think it's a hard thing to do. I mean, you know, yeah. So you've got, you run these, you run workshops for people and, you know, instead of trying to teach intuition, it's, it's almost as if you just put people in situations where they're forced to rely on it. Is that, is that a good <laughs> characterization? <laughs> I would say that's, that's one way of looking at it. And then I think um, the way that I think of it as being um, a nurturing device for intuition is that you're being asked to lead something that you're passionate about and that you love. And so, you know, when you're talking about something that you love, there's a certain openness inside of that. And there's a certain reception that comes. And so we're not asking you to talk about, you know, the math problem that you hated in high school and how to solve it. The first question when people ask, well, I don't know what to teach. I don't know what to guide. The first question that I ask them is, well, what are you passionate about? What excites you? And then we move from that point. So it's really taking your interest and allowing you to have the water and the sunlight to be able to nurture the seeds of those interests. And through that, I find that there's actually a real um, natural reception of intuition to where people feel like, people feel safe inside of themselves. So intuition comes actually pretty easily from that point. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I've uh, spent some time doing speaking coaching and would often get people to talk about things that they that they like, as opposed to talk about your next business project and try to try to inspire me. Um, and it's a yeah. thing that you get such a different transmission from them when they're talking about a thing that they that they really care about. 
exactly. um, sometimes that leads to conversations about you know why you're doing the work that you're doing um it sounds like you <laughs> have zero joy in it which right yeah i mean depending on what you do you can't always control that um yeah but there is you know there there i, I certainly believe that leadership is really a, it's a it's an energetic transmission i mean you're trans you're transmitting more than just you know information and content you're you're transmitting right. energy and transmitting inspiration I think what's interesting about what you're doing is you're tapping into, well, where does that come from? Yes. Um, and it's interesting because once you see it in someone, I just try to encourage them. Like I was um, doing it with some students, you know, these girls were like 14 to 18 years old. And this one girl, it was like a dancer workshop. So they were all dancers, but I gave no pressure at all that they were supposed to lead something regarding to dance. And I asked her, what is she interested in? And she said, carnivorous plants and she just lit up and everyone's soul has something so different and everyone's mission is so unique and so you never know what it's going to be but when you see someone light up like that I just think that's such a beautiful path to, to help and be the hand on their back to kind of support them and nurture them down that that road and she ended up she ended up teaching us how to take care of carnivorous plants and you know and she just loved it you could see she was beaming about these carnivorous plants and I was just like I was so happy for her because I don't think she felt ever in any other kind of educational or leadership development anything that she could talk about this and that she could be open about her love for carnivorous plants because it's you know it's very unique um, but that's what's cool about it is that it really tailors to people's uniqueness Right, which, I mean, I would argue everyone's got, it's a question of will you lay it out on the table? Like, what's the thing that's, what's the weird thing that you don't want people uh, to know about you? You know, <laughs> you know, the yeah. risk plants is, is one, you know, there's, there's so many of them. Man, this has got, this, this, the inner teacher, this whole concept, I love what you said about putting, you know, putting people in a position to be the leader. And so that they can actually embody it as opposed to trying to like teach somebody through a textbook, um, yeah. how to, how to lead. It's like you put them in on, you put them in there and, and you, you let them trust themselves to, to be in it. And I can imagine that people must walk out of there feeling, as you said, like super empowered. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. And I do give some, um, different kind of empowerment techniques in the beginning that really kind of warms up the space and gets people in their bodies and into their minds and into their hearts and so that can look that can look like several different things and I'm I'm always experimenting with how those things can look like but most of the time it's kind of asking someone well what do you want in your life and so say someone I want to be stress-free and then okay well how can you believe yourself that you already are stress-free um, so we just skip the whole part about like, this is why I'm stress-free because my parents and blah, 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 or this is why I'm stressed out. You know, we just skip that part and we just go to the part of like, you are so strong that you can literally command the stress to just go right out of your body. And so we use the group to support the individual in that pursuit. And, and we basically affirm when they're kind of building on it and, and we feel their belief is tightening inside of it. 
then we do that through you know a clapping system and and you have these moments where someone will just be like i am stress-free and everything just lifts from them and they realize like they're the power of their own voice so that's that's really what it's about at the end of the day is it's empowering people to understand the power of their own voice that they already possess. And you don't need to learn any technique. You don't need to pay $100. You don't need to learn any kind of method. You don't need to go to this leadership program. You already have it inside of you. It's just about having the supportive environment that nurtures you to be able to believe that you have that. Right, which is in many cases, the, that's the missing piece, at least in, in most corporate settings, is that the the nurturing environment i mean it, it obviously this is the men at work podcast so you know we talk a lot about men at work and you know one of the unfortunate consequences of the the type of hierarchies we've created in most corporations is there's not a lot of nurturing and right. you know there's a lot there's something to be said for for competition and we want you know good leaders to be there but we tend to we've tended to heavily select for you know highly masculine qualities when we <laughs> when we're, you know, nurturing and selecting for leadership. I could imagine yeah. though that there's, you know, as we, as we move into a time where we're getting, I'd say slightly better on the gender equality and certainly diversity of leadership, there's a ton of room for what you're doing in the corporate setting. Um, I, you know, I'm curious, is, is that part of, of your vision for where you want to take things? It definitely is. Yeah, the corporate setting. Um, I've also seen kind of a larger vision coming of um, actually making it into an educational system um, so that this can be something for not only education for the youth, but definitely for the youth um, and can be integrated into curriculum and different programs. Um, because I think that there's really something to taking someone's individual dreams and ideas and really nurturing that rather than trying to fit them into a box of, you know, what they're supposed to learn and what they're supposed to know so that we have a society full of visionaries and leaders and trailblazers and rule breakers um, and people who actually really know what they're doing. So that's why I think when you say it, that it maybe doesn't fit into this old paradigm of what a leader means I, I'm not interested in that paradigm and I'm not interested in changing it I'm interested in creating a new one because I think that one is being deconstructed right now and I think a new one has to arise in its ashes and that's what I'm trying to build I, I love what you're trying to build um, and yeah I mean I, I, I see it I see it's you know slowly slowly crumbling and maybe maybe accelerating there's many many organizations that are moving into much more inclusive forms of leadership, uh, getting out of that, you know, father knows best type of mentality and the super, super strict hierarchy. Um, and I think regardless, there's a huge piece of this that's about the, uh, you know, the embodiment component. So seeing mm. that leadership is not, um, or, you know, leadership, being a visionary, being a trailblazer, being a rule breaker, these are not necessarily cognitive processes. They happen through yeah. action. And mm -hmm. just like you talked about, you know, hand gestures and things, it's like, yeah, there's a, there is a huge amount of it that's about what you're transmitting out into your workplace, into the world. And I'm, uh, I'm yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm inspired to hear 
what you're working on. Can you can you talk maybe a little more about your experience in in trying to bring embodiment to people and and getting people in there? I know you've you've given us some examples, but it's an area that I'm especially curious about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really interesting when I was teaching inner teacher in a more corporate setting. Um, I'm telling people, well, first of all, we're around like this huge <clears throat> board table. And I'm like, okay, this is an interesting space to experience embodiment. Like maybe we all get up on the table. <laughs> no, but we didn't do that. Um, so, you know, I'm telling people to kind of shake it out and, and walk around and get into their bodies a little bit. And it was really interesting, you know, and, and I have to kind of celebrate my own ignorance here that, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I'm also trying to figure this out. And I I can transmit it to anyone that has some kind of awareness of their body. But when people don't have any awareness of their body, it's, it's a much harder game because you're working with the embarrassment. Um, and so I think there's a big kind of mental block that is not allowing people to go there. And um, it comes from, I think, the thoughts that being in your body is either too feminine or um, is something that's weird or is something that we're just not comfortable with for some reason. Um, even though when you look at some of the most influential and powerful leaders, they're incredibly in their body. Um, so for some reason, I think it's kind of been um, a device that maybe maybe the powerful and rich are using in order to keep us powerless um, with some kind of thought form that being in your body is either a feminine thing and that's not okay um, to embrace to embrace your femininity and masculinity or that makes you weaker somehow even though it doesn't at all. Uh, it actually it actually encompasses more of you, so you become more powerful because you're engaging, you know, all the facets of yourself in your mission and in your voice and in your body, which I think is what it's about. So, you know, a lot of strategies that I have is I start with the voice because a lot of um, I find people in corporate is that they know how to project their voice. They know how to have a certain sound current that can you know, be influential. And so then I take that voice and I connect it to the quality of the body. So what would that voice look like inside of your body? How does that voice express itself if you allow your body to move? Because a lot of the times we're just mentally constricting our bodies to not move. And so when you give permission for movement and you allow it to be in alignment with somebody's voice, all of a sudden, all the movement and all the body language happens really naturally. You know, I think people overthink this a little bit in terms of like, oh, there's a specific body language that I need to hold where I really think that it comes very naturally and it's just um, a mental permission for movement. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, um, you know, it's so much of what's out there and, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself of, of coaching in this way of the outside in process for, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be a leadership presence or, you know, people call it charisma, whatever it might be, it's gen, it's often outside in. So it's like, oh, well, if you move your hand in this way, 
Yeah, or if you ground your legs into the floor, I get that one a lot. Yeah, and then you're just supposed to like become a rock and not move apparently. And then you can yeah. trick everyone into thinking that you're you're actually aware, even though what you're aware of is you know how well you're moving your body as opposed to <laughs> right, as opposed to the natural rhythm and um, expression that your yeah. body has. And I think, uh, you know, our voices have this a lot of time. With dancers, it's actually the opposite. A lot of times they're very in their body, but they don't know how to speak and use their voice. So it's really interesting because I'm kind of playing both sides of it, where I'm working with a lot of dancers in my uh, dance company, where we're trying to empower them to connect their voice to their body's expression. Um, because their bodies are so powerful and they're so in their bodies, but their voice is not aligning. So. I think you know you can work both ways with that depending on who the person is. There are some people who, you know, really know how to how to move a lot just naturally. Like my mom is not a, you know, she hasn't practiced movement, but she does have this natural expression to her. And so I think there are people like that. And then a lot of times for her, it's connecting the voice to the body. So I think you can go a little bit different ways. And when I say the voice, I also mean the voice inside of our head. So what is that voice saying and how is, where is the dissonance between that voice? So I kind of, let me break down because <laughs> I kind of look at it and there's this overarching mission or goal that we have within our life of who we want to be and what we want to achieve. And then we have our voice, which is also the voice inside of our head and the voice that I'm speaking right now. And then we have our body. And a lot of times there's a lot of dissonance between those three things. And I think a lot of times that is not allowing us to pursue our mission or have the things that we want to have or become the person that we want to be because there's either dissonance in the voice, the sound current, the voice in the head, or the body. And so a lot of times I look at people and I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to be? And seeing kind of what their mission is. So say this woman, she really wants to be in politics. Okay, awesome. You, I see that she has the ability to be in politics, but for some reason, her body language is saying that she's, um, you know, a football player, you know, because she's just kind of being way too rambunctious and stuff. And so it's figuring out how to, because we're, we're always constructing ourselves to be able to fulfill our mission, our dharma, our work. And so we have to also construct our body and our voice to be able to serve that mission. And it's actually a very natural process because you were built to do that. So your body and your voice have certain abilities. So it's kind of more a process of, like you said, unlearning and uncovering what their natural instincts are and then going from that place. And a lot of times people are like, well, I have no idea what I want to do. And I'm like, well, you have the body of a dancer and that's rare. So you should do something with that, you know, or you have the voice of a politician or you have the voice of a CEO. It's like there's certain characteristics that we have that are kind of within our epigenetics that I think if we can see and we can look at in a very clear and real way, then we can learn a lot about ourselves and, and then just continue to amplify the things that we're great at and the gifts that we've been given. You know, just make those things bigger. <laughs> That's right. Make it, make it, <laughs> make it grow. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Maybe we can jump back into your journey for a minute. I mean, 
this is our you know second conversation you you know made a huge impact when you met uh, my wife in you know in LA you have clearly found some alignment between those three elements of of voice and I'm, I'm curious like are you aware or do you know how that happened for you because you're yeah. um, you know you've got a real big mission a real big vision in this world and you know here you are and you know, are you in, are you a senior in university? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. by, by all standards, you're, you know, a very young man to have this level of clarity, but also this level of command over uh, your voice. And I'm, I'm wondering a little more about what that journey was like for you. Mm. Well, I think Kundalini Yoga has been a huge part of that journey. And my teacher, Guru Jagat, um, who your wife studies under too. So I have to give credit where credit is due that the lineage of Kundalini Yoga is something that I study um, every day and that it's something I practice every day. And I'm always looking at what the teachers that I admire are doing and I'm trying to embody those qualities because they have something that is passed down through a lineage that has maturity inside of it and so I'm really studying that and taking it very seriously um, but in terms of my own practice outside of that I think I really practice what it means to be in the vision that I want to have so if my vision is teaching inner teacher to thousands of people and putting it into the educational system and giving it to these corporate businesses. I'm holding that vision in a way that I'm already living inside of it. And so then it's just about holding it long enough to where the rest of the world starts to see the vision the way I'm living. it. Um, and it's a living, it's not a thought. I'm living that vision. I'm experiencing that vision. And that goes to the very practical practices of going out into my forest in the woods and pretending like I'm teaching a class of a thousand people and actually commanding my voice in my body. And then that goes to the smallest practices of like, you know, how do I nurture this plant that I have in a way where I want it to grow big and tall? So, and and the smallest little details I'm, I'm really starting to uncover within my own personal practice of, oh, by me not folding that sheet is actually um, a metaphor for my impatience within my life. And so I think I'm really starting to look at the smaller things and I'm starting to acknowledge how those are representations of the bigger things that I'm experiencing and the bigger things that might be setting me back. And I'm being very meticulous with how I acknowledge those smaller things now. Um, so I would say that, yeah. It's I don't know a, if that answered the question. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I yeah. mean, I think it's a, you know, you and I talked about this last time too. It's like you've discovered for yourself your own version of what masculinity and leadership look like as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, and I, you know, we, I, we talk about it a lot on this podcast about, you know, the, you know, obviously being men at work, but you've, 
for yourself, you've coined this, this kind of beautiful marriage of, of that, you know, the, the real confidence and direction of the, of the kind of spiritual masculine with also the, the grace and intuition of the, of the feminine side of things as well. And that's how you've decided to be a transmission of masculinity um, in the world. Mm. Mm. You talked about this idea of, uh, you know, you're committing to a different kind of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, what else does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it has a lot to do with how I relate to my body in terms of the love that I give to my body um, and the acknowledgement of it on a daily basis of gratitude for its gifts and for its intuition and for its skill. And I highlight that in my life. You know, I acknowledge myself to be psychic and then I become psychic. And so I think it has to do with well, one, it has to do with who I am of, you know, realizing that my sexuality was something I was very confused at at a young age. And, you know, I was a dancer, so everyone told me that I was gay. And then I came out as gay. And then I was like, am I gay? Because, or did I just come out as gay because everyone told me that I was gay? <laughs> and, um, you know, I've kind of realized that while a label is important because it defines something, it's also important to play with how that definition is for you. Um, and of course you can't play with it unless you know what the definition is. So I think also just understanding on a day-to-day -day basis, like, oh, what, what archetype am I in right now? Like, am I in a more masculine archetype? Am I in a more feminine archetype? How is that moving? Really, like the self-psychology of the self, of understanding how you are acting and how you are responding intuitively in different situations of your life. And then being able to take those things and have a little bit more command of it. Oh, oh okay, I'm seeing my partner needs more nurturance. Maybe I can embrace more of a feminine quality. And being able to then command those two um, energies and play with them and then combine them. Um, and I think being on stage has had a big part of this too, because when you're, when you're dancing, there are certain qualities that are inherent inside certain movements. And so I think that has also uh, been a big gift to me that I've been able to connect with those different qualities through that vessel of experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's been a huge gift for you. Um, you know, even, even just seeing, you know, my listeners don't get a chance to see you on, on video, this is audio only, but you know, even seeing the way you move and the way you command uh, your body, even through Zoom video, it's it's true. Um, and you know, I think you one of the things I'll you know also name is like you found a way to not make any archetype wrong. Like whether mm -hmm. you're feeling like you're in a more feminine energetic space or masculine, and you found a way to just be with what is, um, or to read a situation and figure out what's called for here. Yeah, it is like a certain directness, a more masculine style of energy. Maybe it's, as you said, more nurturing. But that's the, I mean, that's a lot of the, um, a lot of the work I do, certainly with the, the men's group I lead here in Vancouver, with 
um, and even with individual clients one-on-one -on -one is to help them see that there's it's not there's no, there's no wrongness with any yeah. of these archetypes it's more about figuring out you know what's your energetic or emotional state and you know being aware enough in your body to know that and secondly what's the situation call for here and act yeah you know i i've been doing a new thing where i don't judge my action but i judge my effort and that has been so helpful for me because when I'm in a position where maybe I have no idea what the right action to do is, I just put effort in, I put energy in. And I say, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to find right action inside of this situation. And when I do that, the action normally happens because you're sending out a deep prayer for that action to come. And that's the effort inside of it. And so uh, I don't judge whether I do something right or whether I do something wrong, but I judge how much I tried. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Probably a uh, yeah. pretty, good, uh, pretty good lesson for most of my listeners out there. Is maybe not, don't judge the action so much, judge the effort. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of, and, what, yeah, go ahead, Nathan. And, and being real with what that effort was. Like, was there insecurity behind that effort? Like, was there fear behind that effort? Or was that a fearless, committed effort? And I'm very real with myself about this in terms of, uh, no, like, cause it, you know, it's very easy to tell within myself if I'm doing a dance routine or something and I go to do something. And, you know, I went to do it, but I was a little afraid I was going to mess up. That has a huge effect and that's a metaphor for all action that we're taking, you know, that has a huge effect on the action. And so I'm really judging my fearlessness inside of something. And I'm very um, committed to the growth of my fearlessness, not the growth of my um, humility and service and all these kind of exterior things that we're looking at. You know, I'm, I'm judging and I'm, deciding and looking at my growth of how fearless I can be in each moment. It's a, it's a, it is a good, uh, a good analogy. I think that, you know, you're reminding me of, I met a, um, a woman who runs a, a wolf sanctuary out in the desert, just outside of, um, of LA. And she was talking about how the, you know, there's there's principles of, of how a wolf operates and the wolf is is always 110% committed to whatever it's doing. Like it doesn't matter how scared it is. It's like, nope, I'm 100% committed to whatever I'm doing. And I'm like, I'm fully confident this is going to work. Um, and just going, you know, jumping in both feet. And I think a lot of a lot of what we see today, and you know, this is certainly relevant for the world of, of leaders is people are they when they walk in it's like they're kind of they're a bit tepid or they're timid or they've got you know one foot in one foot out and they're not trustable mm -hmm. yeah and that comes with self-trust i think fearlessness comes with self-trust and that's a big part of inner teacher is that as you put yourself in situations of leadership and as you start to become more comfortable and more fearless and more intuitive with that you develop a self-trust capacity to where when you are in any situation within your life, you are confident in yourself that you will make the right decision 
if you put the effort and the fearlessness inside of it. So when I go on stage, I can't be thinking about whether I'm going to do this right or whether I do this wrong. I have to full body dive into whatever it is. And, and that is the percentage. I kind of look at it as a percentage of effort, you know, in, in a, in an all encompassing way of there's effort in the direction of my mission. And then, how I'm aligning with that, with my voice and with my body. And that's a full effort. That's, a, that's what a full body dive means. You know, you don't go in with just your pinky finger and do a dive. It's, it's body, heart, soul, mind all at once, jump off the cliff and you go and you just let go and you free fall and you see what happens. And a lot of times you get hurt, but you're meant to get hurt. And you're meant to learn and then you're meant to heal and you're meant to grow. And, and that's part of the journey is failing a lot. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that's, that's the, the paradigm, I think, also that you and I are trying to change, you know, you in particular with inner teachers, like having, a, having an environment in an, where, where in an organization where people are working or, you know, making their art whatever they're doing an environment that supports this idea that failure is okay and that in fact it's almost celebrated and i think that's another yeah. you know aside from the kind of masculine dominated leadership hierarchy the other one is that you know failure is is often seen as a, you know terrible thing and you know yeah like if you if you're if your company tanks that could be a really bad thing for sure you know, but it's, it's, you're talking about the small stuff. Like if you, if you go in, yeah. if you go all in and you get used to that, how do you, how do you teach that when in the inner teacher workshop, how do, like you, you talked about fearlessness comes from self-trust. How do you, how do you get people to find that self-trust? I, I, I come across a lot of people in my work that just, it's a, that's a huge barrier for them. I think there's a lot of different ways you can do it with imagery and words, but all that kind of becomes meaningless because it's a transmission. If I'm fearless, they will be too. And it's as simple as that. If I'm experiencing synchronicity, everyone around me will too. I've had these crazy moments where like other people's lives, like I was just with my friend and we were talking about I don't know, we were just talking about a video he's making for me and stuff. And then, you know, he immediately, right after he left me, he ran into this person and, and needed to get this information. And I think that, you know, you become a transmission for other people's, um, other people's heightened experiences of themselves or something. And so wherever you go, a little bit of that is being leaked into them. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways you can encourage someone to go there. And I think it's up to us to be creative to figure that out. I don't have, I'm really against dogmas and really against these certain um, things that have been written down of how you're supposed to do it. I think that if you're a leader and you're in a position of teaching, like, be creative, you know, like, try a bunch of different ways, do something that you're scared to do with someone like you know and make them act like a coyote or or give them permission to act like a coyote and see what happens from that you know it's like if we trust ourselves as leaders to 
inspire other people, you know, weird stuff might come out that you didn't expect yourself to say or to do, but maybe that's what needed to be said and needed to be done. So don't judge that. Just, just see what happens when you do that. And then, you know, don't lose charisma if it doesn't work. You just, you know, divert the attention somewhere else and try something else, you know, it's like, <laughs> as long as you're, as long as you're loving what you do and you're expressing that people are going to be interested in what you have to say. And so just continue to keep trying if, if something's not working. We play this game where we basically do like hot and cold with clapping, where a person comes into the room, you clap really loud if they get a task right. Um, and if they're kind of like, you know, getting hot or warm towards the task and you cannot win the game, you can't even play the game if you don't try. So if one way doesn't work, you try another, you try another. But a lot of times what happens is people get frustrated and they give up. And that's a great example of, you know, like you can't do that. If you want to accomplish the thing, you have to try millions of perspectives because someone might be asking you to sing the national anthem standing on a chair. And that, that's a metaphor for what you might be asked to do in this life. And that has been asked to do within that game. And someone had to figure that out with no knowledge other than just being guided by other people's energy. And so you follow the energy inside of yourself and you follow it inside of the other people. So it's different every time, depending on the group of people. Well, I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like the kind of workshop that um, would would make most people, you know, super uncomfortable just to think about it. And that's probably exactly what they need for the next their next level of of growth, which is, you know, that's always the that's always the hard part is when you have a you're putting on a workshop or you know you're delivering something where people have to put themselves out there. You know, you're you're going to be attracting the people that are willing to jump and be full in. Um, and you know, yeah. accept that, that others just, they're not willing to do what's necessary to break out of their own comforts. No. But it, it's yeah. true, right? Like when you, the national anthem is great. Like if the person gives up early, it's like, hey, this, this, is, a, this is a silly example. You're, you know, you're sitting on top of a chair, but if you're willing to give up that quickly, imagine how that shows up in the rest of the way you lead. Exactly, yeah. And how you how you teach someone too? like, it's, it's like we only try one thing. And then if they don't get it, we say, sorry, you're not smart, you know, or you don't have the capability. And I really admire the teachers who just go through every perspective and effort and journey to get that person to where they need to be. And so while I do think there's a matter of willingness that is necessary, I also think that um, if the group is supporting that person who maybe isn't as willing, I think there's a possibility to also help those people too. So of course, it's really hard to go into a room where no one is willing, and that doesn't normally happen. Normally, there's a few people. And so I think you find those people, and like, like we were talking about earlier, you really focus on those people. You, you focus on that willingness, and then you use those people to help support the people who are maybe a little more skeptical or scared or insecure. So just being able to read the room and acknowledge that there's different varieties of willingness and readiness to jump and then accepting those and 
saying, I'm not going to give up on you just because you're not willing, but I, I'll try another way, I think is really important. And, you know, there's certain amounts of time that maybe you can do that for. And then after a while, you're just like, okay, it's not going to work this time. But maybe in a year when I come back and do a workshop, you'll be like, damn, like, I wish I had that opportunity again. And now I get to do it. You know, there was a woman like that in one of the workshops afterwards. She was like, you know, I really just wanted to say, like, I am confident but I couldn't say it in front of the group. And I was like, you know, that's okay. Like we're all on our own journeys. And the fact that you acknowledge that now you want to do that. And now you have this passion inside of you to do it the next time. Like that's a step. So I think that's important to acknowledge too. Like everyone's step is valid and appreciated and worthwhile. Right. As opposed to making them wrong for wherever they're at. Um, which is, you know, easier to do. <laughs> easier, um, but less productive. Because oh, if you want the person to do the work, then you got to get them somehow on board with you and on board with your mission and on board with their own empowerment. So, you know, they're not going to do good work if you just cast them aside and say, you're not right. And then you're going to have to spend the whole time searching for a new employee and all that stuff. So I think, you know, I... I've worked with people who I never thought I would see the amount of progress in them that I have. And I'm honestly super open in my choreographic work and my artistic work to really work with anyone and go where they're at and then be that guiding force to help them um, grow. Well, and I think that's, that's what's going to make a difference for you. You know, you're, you're doing some incredible work. You've got this, you know, this amazing vision that I was immediately drawn to around bringing people back into their bodies and finding some intuition and trusting themselves. And I really believe that that's going to be the next tranche of development. And I, you know, whether it's in corporate or education or wherever you choose to um, focus your efforts, maybe it's going to be everything and you're just going to take over the world. I don't know, but it's... Um, I will not take over the world, but hopefully everyone takes over the world. That's right, you'll empower everyone <laughs> to take over the world. Um, right. Their own world. I, I, that's right. That's right. I, I guess I, I really um, am curious. Like, if I want to make sure my listeners know where they can go to find out more about you and your work as a as a dancer, as a choreographer, as with inner teacher, because it's you know you're you're out in New York, you're at Juilliard, and you know you're already already breaking onto the scene as if you're, um, you know, in your mid forties. And so I'd love to be able to have people be able to catch up with you before you, um, before you're unreachable as a rock star. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can find me Nathan Hershaw on Instagram, N-A-T-H-A-N-H-I-R-S-C-H-A-U-T. Um, and then inner teacher on Instagram is inner underscore teacher. Our website is innerteacher.com. Um, my dance company is called Hive Dance Company. We create uh, performance art um, that basically merges science and art together to be able to understand how we can answer questions and research in a more artistic and open way using the combination of science and art. And that's called Hive Dance company on Instagram and then also our website is highestdancecompany.com um, and then also if 
I'm, you know, I'm at the beginning of my journey of understanding where this will go. So if any of you out there have spaces that you think that this can go, please contact me. Um, you can contact me at nwh2 at juilliard.edu, um, or you can just message me on Instagram because I'm looking for spaces to bring this to that you think would be interested. Um, and I'm super willing to really go anywhere that it calls me. So if you're interested in this class structure and in this workshop, let me know, because I'd love to collaborate on this and, and, and bring it to wherever you guys all are. I think it's gonna, it's gonna go a lot of places. Um, I'll link up all the notes and everything, all of your links in my show notes as well, Nathan, so people don't need to um, you know, memorize how to spell your last name, which took me a couple tries too. Um, guess, you know, just, just in closing, man, I, I, I want to say um, a real heartfelt thank you for sharing your story, for making the connection through Rebecca and onto me, and for just making the time to be on this, this podcast. You know, it's the work you're doing is impressive. You're like one of those, you know, those, the like highest of high achievers I've ever met. One of those guys in school, you're like, oh, that guy's going to really go places. And so I'm just grateful <laughs> for the time that you spent and for the work that you're doing in the world. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll call it a wrap there. I'll make sure anyone that needs to can get a hold of you. And I can't wait uh, for you and I to be chatting again in a year. Whew, that is a wrap on episode 21 with Nathan Hershow. Wow, um, Nathan's up to a lot in the world, as you likely heard. He's got a ton of stuff that he's going to bring into the world. And if you want to find out anything more, I'll make sure I link up everything for you in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to leave me some feedback, you can do that on my website at travisstreb.com or you can do it through iTunes, through SoundCloud or wherever else you're listening to this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week.